Democratic Senator Kirsten Sinema is a central figure in the 50-50 split Senate, where Democrats hold control, but only with Vice President Kamala Harris acting as tiebreaker. As a centrist Democrat, she holds outsized political power. She has the ability to make or break President Joe Biden's legislative agenda. Since arriving in the Senate in 2019, she's kept a fairly low profile and she very rarely speaks at length with reporters. She ran in 2018 on the promise to work in a bipartisan manner. How's she doing that? What do we know about her long-term legislative goals? On today's Gaggle, we bring you a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Senator Kirsten Sinema. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Javon Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. To many, cinema is seen as a key political figure who is standing in the way of passing democratic agenda items. She's faced possible censure from Arizona's party Democrats, which essentially is just a formal statement of disapproval. She continues to face criticism for working alongside her Republican colleagues and for opposing the Senate's legislative filibuster, which essentially requires 60 votes in order to move forward on considering a bill. We're talking with her about the filibuster, a federal minimum wage increase, and border security. We joined the Senator on a Zoom call along with her staff. The Senator gave us 16 minutes of her time. We asked as many questions as we could in that time. So you might hear me fumble a bit as I pivot to the final question for Kirsten Cinema. This interview was recorded on Thursday, April 29th. Senator, thanks so much for joining us on The Gaggle. It is great to be with you all today. Senator, uh, let's start with the legislative filibuster. Uh, you've defended the legislative process and sought bipartisan collaboration in your congressional career. The filibuster seems to have evolved, though, into a partisan cudgel to block all kinds of bills from even moving forward. Not a single Republican voted for the American Rescue Plan that had a few features that even former President Donald Trump supported. And it's broadly popular with the public. I guess the big question is, why should the filibuster remain when it's used so routinely and seems to be used even on things that have popular support? Well, Ron, as I've often said, the problem with the filibuster is not the tool that's designed to bring senators together and force collaboration to encourage comedy and uh, compromise. The solution is not to get rid of this tool. The solution is for senators to change their behavior. So the real response that I would say here is that um, folks across the country, I would hope, should be demanding that their United States senators and their members of the U.S. House begin working together to find collaborative solutions to the great challenges we face in our country. Now, it'll come as no surprise to folks in Arizona that I've long opposed eliminating the filibuster. I've spoken extensively about this starting as early as 2013 when I was a first-year member of the U.S. House. You know, I promised way back then that I would do things differently. And we see that folks often just kind of line up on either side of a partisan battle. But what we don't see are folks who are willing to get out of their comfort zones and build these bipartisan coalitions to get things done. 
And right now there's all this attention in Washington that's being paid to changing the Senate rules and procedures when really I think we should be paying attention to the way that lasting things get done. And the reality is that legislation that stands the test of time is created through both bipartisanship and compromise. So I'm gonna continue staying focused on my priorities for um, Arizona and the United States Senate. And I'm gonna stay focused on trying to find that middle ground and that compromise that I believe Arizonans are hungry for. So Senator John McCain, for example, he dug in on issues like campaign finance reform and opposing um, torture uh, over the Republican Party's objections. But there were some real obvious sort of legislative goals there. Can you give us a sense of what your long-term legislative goals are? Like, what do you what do you want? Well, I would say my number one goal is to make life better for the folks who live and work in Arizona every day. You know, most folks in Arizona aren't thinking to themselves, what is the government doing for me today? In Arizona, they're often thinking, what's the government doing to me today, <laughs> right? So what I want is for folks in Arizona to think, gosh, the stuff that Kirsten's been working on is just making my life easier. It's making my life a little bit better. And the good news is that in this Senate, I've got some real opportunities to help make some of those changes. Um, as the new chair of the subcommittee for management, um, I started digging in on the border issues that, as we know, have been plaguing Arizona for the last 30 years because of the federal government's failure to address um, immigration. And I'm lucky to be serving now as the, cha the chair of the aviation subcommittee in the Commerce Committee to help work on issues around transportation, um, on how COVID-19 has been impacted, has impacted flying and tourism. So these are really important issues that I'm lucky to be able to take a forefront role on. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And generally speaking, I would say, Yvonne, I want Arizonans to, one, not have to think about their government very much, but two, when they do, to think to themselves, well, at least it's less bad than it used to be. It's less painful than it used to be. And Kirsten's done some work to help make my life a little bit easier and a little bit better. One last question on the filibuster. Uh, Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has praised your position on the filibuster in a statement to the Arizona Republic. It seems like Republicans more broadly view, the, view you as a critical way to preserve the legislative guardrails in Washington at the moment. And there are Democrats who see you as naive about what's going to happen when Republicans run the city again. Uh, what do you say to those who elected you to get stuff done, as you like to put it? Well, Ron, I would say for those who elected me to get stuff done, we've got a great track record of doing it. You know, it's it's been almost nine and a half years that I've been um, working in Washington, D.C., coming home to Arizona every weekend and talking about the stuff that we are getting done that make a difference in the lives of Arizona families. And I've also got a track record of working with people who are very different than myself to find that common ground and to find that compromise. And that's what I'm gonna keep doing. Now, when it comes to the issue again of the filibuster, first I would say most Arizonans aren't sitting around thinking about this at home. What they're really thinking about is, is my family safe from COVID? Is my job secure? How do I pay my rent or my mortgage? Like, how do I make sure that my kids can get a chance at a better life than the one that I've had? That's what folks at home are thinking about. But I think a critical part of being able to answer those questions for Arizonans in a way that gives them hope for the future is to protect the institution 
so that we require folks to come together to solve these problems. Because, you know, whether or not you've got enough money to pay your mortgage, whether or not you're going to be able to send your kids to college, those aren't Democrat or Republican problems. Those are just American problems. And folks just want folks who are going to help solve their problems and, again, make their life just a little bit better. So the last thing I'll say about this is that there, you know, there's a lot of talk about, ooh, the pressure is mounting and the pressure is out there. But as everybody knows, I don't bend to pressure from either party. And I just stay focused on doing what I think is right and delivering for Arizonans. One of the things that um, some Arizonans and a lot of Americans are wanting action on is the federal minimum wage. You support raising the federal minimum wage from $7.25 an hour, and you've obviously supported Arizona's previous efforts to increase the wage and adjust it annually for inflation. There are all kinds of ideas, um, like implementing a minimum wage that varies by region to distinguish, say, from New York City to places like my uh, hometown, uh, rural Idaho. Can you sort of sketch out your thinking on what you would like to see happen on this issue, knowing that you were working with Senator Mitt Romney of Utah uh, on it? Absolutely. So first, let me say, I understand what it's like to face tough choices while you're working to meet your family's most basic needs, right? Folks know my own family history. I know what it's like to have to make these tough choices and I know how hard it can be for families across our country. I also know the difference that better wages can make. So as you noted, Yvonne, that's why I helped lead the effort to pass the index minimum wage back in 2006. It's why I supported the minimum wage increase in 2016. And it's why I've recommended to my colleagues in Washington that we look at Arizona as a model for how to solve this challenge in the future. Creating a, a minimum wage that can help people take care of their families, and then indexing it for the future so that folks have a path forward so they can see the future ahead of them. Now, I was clear that a minimum wage did not belong in the COVID package relief because it can't be used during reconciliation. I am happy to see that senators in both parties have shown support for raising the federal minimum wage. So as you noted, I'm working with Republican Senator Mitt Romney from Utah, and we are working on developing a process where we can have an open debate and an amendment process on raising the minimum wage. So we're continuing to work hard. Um, we hope to have some more updates soon, but our goal is to create a process that is open, transparent, and fair. And it's my goal to see that we get a process that is similar to the way that Arizona has increased its minimum wage. Can you share what that, what that dollar figure per hour would be with your proposal? Well, we're still working on the details of the proposal. And right now we're in a very important stage of shopping it with some of our allies in, in both the Republican and the Democratic caucus in the Senate. So now's not a great time to put out all those details because one, we don't have them nailed down yet. And two, we're seeking to find that compromise in that middle ground. Okay, uh, so let's turn to border security and immigration reform, which Congress has grappled with for decades at this point. President Biden submitted a plan on immigration that would create a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. 
and would not fund further border wall construction. He's agreed to accept more refugees. And at the same time, we're seeing a spike in border crossings right now and a state of emergency in four counties here in Arizona. Senator Kelly, your Democratic seatmate, has said the president has not sufficiently discussed the situation at the border. As a border senator and one who chairs a subcommittee on border management, are there realistic prospects for legislation that addresses either border security or immigration reform that can get 60 votes in Washington? So first, let me say that um, I'm excited that there is an opportunity to move forward in a bipartisan way on this issue. As we know that Congress has been stymied by the issue of immigration for well over 30 years and nowhere um, has that price of Congress's failure to act paid a higher price than at home in Arizona. So as you know, last week I introduced the Bipartisan Border Solutions Act with Senator John Cornyn. Now, I don't wanna to get too wonky, but I'll just say this. The bill seeks to improve the federal government's response to the current border crisis by creating centers for processing asylees and migrants who presented the border um, and who are trying to come into our country. As we know right now, the crisis that's happening at our southern border and that is overwhelming our small communities and towns in southern Arizona is because of the numbers, the sheer huge size of numbers of people who are coming to our border. So we want to move folks to processing centers to relieve that burden on these local communities. Um, our bill ensures that migrants are treated fairly and humanely by increasing their access to case management and, uh, and volunteer attorneys and we're improving management and security along the border. So our bill is not a panacea. It doesn't solve the immigration crisis in our country, but what it does do is represent a very practical, very timely first step to address our country's urgent needs. And for that, I'm grateful. Yet um, last week, we introduced the legislation. Yesterday, we had a very productive meeting with Senator Durbin. And currently, Senator Corn and I are shopping this bill with our colleagues on both sides of the aisle. Our goal is to get to that critical 60-vote threshold to be able to move this forward along with other border security measures and um, measures to address our DACA population and other concerns that are outstanding and are important for Arizona's future. The um, Florence Project, um, which is the oldest migrant legal assistance program in the country, came out with a pretty strongly worded criticism of this legislation, saying it really takes no meaningful steps to reform uh, the, the immigration system. They have all sorts of issues with it. Did you get a chance to look at that criticism and how might that be weighed as you are shopping the bill and shaping it? So it's important to know that this piece of legislation is not an immigration solution. This piece of legislation is designed to address the urgent needs of over 357,000 migrants who presented at our southern border between January and March 31st of this year, right? These are numbers that we haven't seen in over two decades. And the reality is that this is a crisis of humanity. You all have seen the same videos and photos as all Americans have of how crowded those facilities are and the conditions that folks are living in in those facilities. This is not the way to enact immigration um, policies in our country. So the corn and cinema legislation is designed to alleviate the pressure in this urgent current. When we launched the bill, 
we specifically said, as you know, you're on the press call that we did last week, that the bill's not intended to be a comprehensive solution, but it is intended to alleviate and address the current and urgent crisis of humanity at the border. Now, our goal is to partner this legislation with some of the other priorities that you all know I've been working on for several decades, which is settling the status of our dreamers and getting them a path to citizenship, addressing the issues around border security in our border writ large, issues of human smuggling and drug smuggling. There are many, many issues we have to address. Congress has shown an inability and unwillingness to manage it all in one big, huge package. And so what we're trying to do here is chunk it up in manageable and importantly, urgent solutions to help address the larger crisis. And I'm just gonna bump in one last question, guys. Oh. That is a look of pain. <laughs> <laughs> can we get two? Can we get two? We can be quick. We are both at the call right after this. I am so sorry. We're going to have to run. So one last. And you know I'm here for you if you need anything further. Ron. Senator, the uh, Americans are dealing with... Uh, sorry. Uh, Senator, Americans are once again hearing of uh, mass shootings all across the country on a seemingly daily basis once again, often mental health uh, and legal access to assault weapons are part of this storyline with all of these matters. Is there any legislation right now that you can envision again that could muster 60 votes in the Senate well, the, I mean, first, let me start by saying this. The levels of gun violence in the United States are unacceptable. This is something we all agree upon. And I've been calling on both parties to engage in a productive conversation on firearms and firearm safety. You guys, this won't be anything new to you, but I support the Second Amendment. And I also believe that there are common sense actions that Congress can take to protect our Second Amendment rights while also increasing safety and preventing needless deaths. So right now, as you know, there's no legislation currently introduced or scheduled for a vote in the Senate, but I am working with my colleagues about common sense steps we can take to protect innocent people from violence while also protecting those fundamental rights. And as we've discussed before, my personal area of expertise and knowledge in this, um, in this issue really relates to mental health and mental health legislation, because that's, of course, my training and education as a social worker. So that's what I'm bringing to my colleagues um, in terms of having this discussion and hoping that we can find some common sense steps to take as we move forward. Thank you guys so much. I know the Senator has to run, so I'm gonna let her hop off and I'll stay on if you guys need anything further, but I really appreciate it. Thanks guys, sorry Thank I have to go. Thank you, Senator, Thank appreciate you. your time. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. Yvonne, Democrats have a narrow window to advance their agenda. Republicans are expected to take control of the House of Representatives in next year's midterms, and they also face headwinds in the Senate. Um, what was your big takeaway from what you heard from the senator? Well, I think she's trying to drive home the point that her work across the aisle and her sort of trying to force moderation and force 
bipartisanship by maintaining the filibuster should really come as no surprise to Arizonans and the people who listened to her for practically two years sort of make the pitch for bipartisanship, for moderation. And that's really sort of what she seems to be trying to demonstrate in the chamber, even though she is sort of coming from coming up against a lot of pressure from both sides. I think in seeing her sort of try to take the lead on the minimum wage debate, along with Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, um, she's trying to perhaps neutralize some of the criticism that she took on for her thumbs down vote um, on trying to include a $15 minimum wage effort in the COVID relief package. Um, You can go to AZ Central to read our coverage about that. Um, And she had been working with Romney on a minimum wage hike preceding that vote. So this is an issue that she actually started working on before that vote came on. In another area on border security, along with Senator John Cornyn of Texas, we see her, you know, really sort of enter the debate in a very contentious issue that has long stymied Congress. She's saying, this is not the end all be all. I get that. I recognize that, but I'm trying to find areas where we can at least start to have a conversation. So she's going to continue to come under a lot of pressure from both sides. It will be interesting to see what happens uh, if Republicans were to take the Senate a couple of years from now. I'd like to see what that sort of pressure looks like. The other thing that I will say is she's never in recent years cast herself as a progressive. And while she's coming under a lot of fire from progressives, she, I think, is sort of taking a what do I care sort of attitude. I mean, the last progressive to run statewide that I can recall flamed out. David Garcia ran for governor in 2018, taking on Republican Governor Doug Ducey. Garcia lost by double digits. He, you know, really was hampered by um, the progressive agenda, calling for an abolition of ICE, talking about issues in ways that do not, you know, bring independents or moderate Republicans onto onto um, that sort of liberal agenda. And so, you know, I think when she's sort of sizing up the criticism, that's, you know, likely the type of people and issues and proof points that she's looking at. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.